0: Yeah, welcome to episode two of M Light. Thank you, LJ, for joining me. How's your day going so far? It's been going great. Well, how about you? Busy, 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 but we're so glad and so uh, blessed to be able to make space today and to have a conversation with someone I think you're going to all really enjoy talking to. But before we begin, we want to acknowledge uh, the territories that we're on. So I'll, maybe I'll pass it to you, LJ, to start, and then I will acknowledge on my end as well.
1: I'd like to acknowledge that we are located in the traditional territories of the Mississaugas of the new credit First Nations.
0: I'd also like to recognize that my firm and myself are currently in Burnaby, British Columbia, uh, home to the Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil Tooth and Kakaia Nations. uh, And we are grateful for these communities for stewarding the lands since time immemorial and are very cognizant of our role as settlers as we have conversations about immigration and how they impact Uh, Indigenous communities and Canada writ large. We wanted to also recognize our preferred pronouns. I know we didn't do this on the first episode, but this is very important, especially in the light and in in the context of conversations we're having across the nation. Uh, It's central to our identities. Uh, I go by the pronouns he, him.
1: I go by the pronouns he, him.
0: We also want to give a quick disclaimer, uh, and I've seen this on some podcasts, so we should probably do it as well. In the event that we get into the realm of legal uh, information, remember that this is legal information only, uh, and nothing that we discuss uh, on this podcast should be purported or taken as legal advice. Uh, We got to make sure that our regulators are happy on both sides of our various provinces.
1: And if you have legal questions, do seek proper counsel from an immigration lawyer or an immigration consultant.
0: Absolutely. So this episode we wanted to delve into the largely underappreciated realm of family sponsorship. LJ, why is this so important right now?
1: It's important because family is central to a lot of Canadians. A lot of people are uh, currently being separated by thousands and thousands of miles, thousands of kilometers, Uh, not of their own fault, uh, largely because of the pandemic. Let's face it, international travel is very hard right now. The borders are very, very much rigid. It's hard to travel even to our close neighbors such as the US or Mexico. It's really quite the ordeal to actually just leave and coming back is a whole different thing. So you know, when it comes to families being together, uh, a lot of them are separated by by you know different time zones, different countries, different borders, and uh, the delays that are caused by uh, the current pandemic are essentially uh, points of anxiety for a lot of Canadian families.
0: Absolutely, and especially for overseas uh, applicants for family sponsorship, the family class. Uh, visa offices across the world were hit heavily by the pandemic, uh, but it's also raised a lot of questions about whether Canada is prioritizing appropriately families and family reunification, and why is it taking so long for some of these applications to be processed overseas. That's why I am very excited to bring our guest today, Mohammed Majid. Mohammed um, Majid, uh, I call him Majid. Uh, is a very important person, but more importantly, he's personally going through and experiencing the spousal sponsorship delays. He himself was an immigrant to Canada, immigrated mm-hmm. to Canada in December 2017, um, but now he is awaiting a, a family sponsorship application and is, has been separated from his spouse and his son, a newborn son, uh, for quite a while now because of the COVID. 19 pandemic and because of delayed processing times. I recently had a chat with him over bubble tea, apparently his first bubble tea ever. And when I was listening to him, tell us stories of his hometown of his journeys across different countries, working, why he chose Canada, falling in love with a, a wonderful uh, individual and spouse, and now becoming a father. I, I couldn't help but uh, want to bring him onto the show. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, Majid. Welcome to the show, Majid, and thank you so much for taking time to share uh, what has been a, a difficult journey. Uh,
2: thanks for having me, Bill and LJ.
0: Awesome. So, Majid, we wanted to begin and we want to center and focus this on, on your family, but you also have an incredible journey of how you got to Canada and some of the experiences uh, of uh, even just your early years prior to the decision to immigrate to Canada. Can you tell me a bit about... Uh, What led you to Canada? Some of the experiences abroad in different countries and and what ultimately made you stay here as the country of your choice?
2: Sure. Um, uh, So I came to Canada in 2017 uh, of December. I think that was the year where the highest number of draws in express entry were ever made. And I was one of the beneficiaries of that. So um, who immigrated without a master's degree with just a high ILTS score. So I graduated in 2012 with an engineering degree and I started working right after university. So I was working for one of the big four accounting firms in the risk advisory team. And I didn't really enjoy working there. So I moved, I changed jobs. I tried my hand at different professions. And uh, eventually I reached a saturation point wherein uh, it was too early in my career, but still I I always uh, wanted to become an entrepreneur, but uh, I I didn't really have the courage to to start something. I was just looking into options. But in uh, 2015, I I quit my job. I wanted to take a sabbatical and uh, take take the GMAT and uh, eventually do a master's in Europe, Canada or the US. But but I was uh, uh, but I didn't take the test, and uh, one of the reasons was uh, the education is ridiculously expensive. And LJ made that comment uh, in in your previous podcast as well, how uh, universities uh, rely on international students for the money, right? So 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 I couldn't afford, didn't didn't really took the GMAT, went back into working again, and around that time I was in touch with a friend. An ex colleague uh, from my previous company who who was living in Vancouver here and he kept on pushing me he said, you know if you if you want to stay employed come to Canada, at least uh, the the wages are better than India but. the going going back to the same thing, right? When the CEC went draws, you guys said that uh, lawyers usually don't encourage people getting into the pool with low scores, right? So, so I was not getting into the pool because the scores were higher, and I did not have a master's degree. So, so but but he forced me. So because he kept on pushing me, uh, I took the test. I took the ILTS test, uh, and uh, I, I got that seven eight seven seven or whatever the score that's needed to to get a high score. Uh, So I I got that, but I didn't get into the pool. And all of a sudden the score dropped to I think 416 or 415 and everybody started getting into the pool then. (laughs) And then uh, I decided, you know what, uh, let me me give it a shot. And when I started working on my application, what I did, uh, I don't know if you guys know, but there is this big stereotype in the US and Canada regarding brown folks, especially people from India that they are good with computers, right? So, so I, I wanted to capitalize on this because even though I was interested in entrepreneurship and business, but I knew if I had to settle down in Canada, I had to get back to technology. So that is when uh, I went back. I started doing data analytics again. And uh, I was lucky to get a job again uh, in, in one of the big four, but an Indian firm, Not I was working for uh, a, a US firm in India, but now I was working in an Indian firm. I got the job. And I was mentally prepared for the processing to last more than six months, but guess what? They processed within fifty-five days uh, from uh, my submission, and my friend' applica- my friend's application was processed in twenty-eight days, and uh, so, so that is how uh, I, I I got the got the PR. And uh, I knew there would be struggle here in Canada, and I was twenty-five then when I got the PR, and I said, you know what? it's easy struggling at 25 than at 29 or 30 when uh, when if I'm married and have kids. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that is that is how I came, yeah. Uh, but yeah, do you want me to keep going or do you have no, any it's, questions? Sorry, we were just <laughs> listening.
0: I think this is awesome. Part <laughs> of our podcast is to give space and, and just for us to listen. I think sometimes, uh, you know, heads do a little too much talking and we're here to listen to your story and, and just think about it. And I'm immediately drawn back to the days of quick express entry. LJ, do you remember... I, I, suppose, I don't know, were you practicing during that time when Express Entry was- No, uh,
1: not at all, but actually very uh, closely monitoring it. I was still articling when he got his ITA, I would imagine.
0: <laughs> uh, so much time is, uh, has definitely yeah. flown by. Um, Majid, uh, before um, Canada, I understand that you also had experiences in, in, in many different countries other than India. And I think just a lot of um, viewers and listeners- who, who might misconceive in immigration think that this is the story always of one person, you know, from one area who st- spent their whole life there who only has one option, which is Canada. And that's all they've w- ever wanted and chosen. You've had a, a bit more of a different journey. Can you maybe give a little bit of light into some of that, those early days and even the choice again, like between different countries, what made you choose ultimately?
2: This was so, uh, so when I quit my job to take the GMAT, I went on a holiday to Dubai. And uh, there was a friend of mine who who had a who had a business there in uh, in, in Dubai, and uh, uh, they so he offered me work, but he never sent the visa. So, so so he offered me work. There were hugs and parties, but there was there was no there was no the visa never came. And uh, every all of my friends told me that the visa would normally take a few days, you know, a work permit in Dubai. But uh, I just kept waiting, and eventually my friend apologized, and and uh, uh, yeah, so Dubai, Dubai didn't happen as well, and I didn't really want to go, didn't want to go back to Dubai because, as I said, uh, I I was trying to find work in uh, in 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 business area, not in technology. And besides that, Australia was an option, but I didn't really explore it because uh, when, because as I said, when Canada. I uh, ha- had it doors open in 2017. I didn't really have to look at Australia. And I think Australia also had that seven years of same work stream. I, I didn't exactly study that, but I, I was kind of not eligible for that. I had to wait if I wanted to go to Australia. Yeah, so so yeah. And as I said, Canada had it doors open, you know, uh, because it was profile-based Or Everything was pretty straightforward. Just your degree, language and work experience. And I, I had all of them and uh, yeah, and because it's close to the US, so I knew technology jobs would be a plenty of, uh, but yeah, and back then I wanted to use Canada as a backdoor entry to the US, but not anymore. Uh, I don't think I'm planning on moving to the US anytime soon. Mm-hmm.
0: It's great to hear your story because I think many times people also misunderstand sponsors and that's the next part of the story we're going to get to that the sponsors themselves often have journeys uh to either to Canada or in the diaspora communities that have led them to the position of sponsoring someone from another country uh and to 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 Canada as a permanent resident.
1: Okay I guess it's my turn so uh, Majid um maybe you know can you tell us a little bit about um your your love story essentially how you met your one, the one?
2: Sure yeah so when I moved to Canada in 2017, uh, besides hustling for work, uh, I was uh, trying. I was trying to get married as well. I I had started that uh, uh, in India, you know, uh, trying to find a spouse. The way that uh, uh, that as, I, I don't know about the whole country, but for my family. It's usually you either speak to a matchmaker or uh, you have, you you create a profile uh, on online matrimonial websites like shadi.com or similar sites. So I had started this in India, but the moment this immigration thing happened, one of my friends advised that, you know, I wait, go to Canada, settle down and then get married. Uh, In retrospect, that was not a good advice, but anyway, so... So I moved here, yeah, and I, I, as I said, I was hustling for the job, and I was also trying to get married. And um, the way I was interacting with the local community here was through the mosque here in Burnaby, and uh, it, it it was really difficult uh, uh, to, uh, to you know to to get any prospects for, because uh, in Islam we don't approach women directly, right? So it's either through a family or through an elder, and uh, so I, I, I was. Uh, So I was not, there there was not much progress here uh, through the mosque or through friends here. And then, uh, because I was online, so then I was speaking to the Imam at at, at the Burnaby Mosque. uh, And uh, I just told him that, you know, hey, I'm struggling. And I told him that I, about these websites that I'm trying to find a spouse in. Um, And then uh, he suggested that, uh, why don't you try this American Muslim matrimonial site, which is exclusively for Muslim people. I was already on, uh, Two other websites for Muslim people but uh, there was no progress there but he suggested this one and I wanted to take his advice and I put my profile up there and uh, I, I was I was contacting people uh, you know the, the, the members on that forum and uh, and so so first when I started in my head I'm like oh I'll marry either in Canada or in India. Right, and then when I when I was going through these websites, which are basically open for any anybody in the world, right? Then I slowly started expanding, uh, you know, the list of countries that I'm okay marrying in, and then eventually, uh, so another reason for this was that in my head, I have to fill the same sponsorship application if I'm marrying somebody in the U.S. or somebody in South America or somebody in China or anywhere. So this was going through my head, maybe country specific documents might be different but 80% of, or 90% of the application is the same so, so i sh- shouldn't just discard an interest or shouldn't show interest only because somebody is from an ex country right so so then then i saw my uh, vibes uh, profile on that site and i just sent her a message uh, you know just initiating contact saying that i'm interested in her profile want to get to know her. If, if, if she has an elder, I can speak, uh, I can speak and maybe we can we can talk, right? And uh, so my brother lived in, uh, so my wife's from Brazil, and my brother lived in Brazil for one and a half year. So even though my brother and my wife never had any contact, my brother's family or my wife's uh, family, but I knew what the city is like. And I, I knew a little bit about the culture and the Muslim community there. So uh, i had a conversation with uh, my wife's friend's husband who was like a uh, like an elder between us and i had a conversation and then uh, so so my background is in anal- analytics and even now i work as a systems analyst so i had this huge list of okay these are the characters that i'm looking for these are the characters that i'm okay compromising in and when i was speaking to to my to my wife uh, her name is anna and uh, everything matched you know everything ticked off and uh, then I took some time and I was on a pilgrimage then I was I was in Mecca and uh, I just kept asking myself do I have any reason to say no besides immigration complications which I'm okay uh, dealing with so yeah uh, uh, then uh, I said you know what uh, I told uh, the elder who was uh, who, who was um, moderating the conversations, I told him I sent him a proposal that you know what I'm 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 uh, I'm okay. This happened, so I'm just summarizing everything that we did in four months to just a few minutes. So it took four months for me uh, to decide, and the initial plan was for me to travel to Brazil, meet the family, uh, meet her in person, and uh, then you know then officially or formally propose and then get married but when i started looking into the paperwork to get married in brazil it was crazy the bureaucracy you know it was insane some of the certificates even the consulate didn't know uh, where can i get them from you know and because i am still an indian citizen some of the documents had to come from india when this was turning out to be a nightmare you know i told my wife let me just come and get married and we can deal with the paperwork uh, as it as it when it comes because traveling to brazil is expensive and i was on a project where it leaves are so not easy to come by so I, I i went i landed in the morning in sao paulo my wife and her father picked me up and i got married the same evening so so this is this is my marriage story and brief yeah. Love
0: happens quick and
1: unexpected. <laughs> well, two things that struck me really is the transnational courtship, the, the, the nature of how, um, you know, all of that has been translated to an online platform before COVID, mind you. Uh, and yeah. second point is that even at the very beginning that you had the frame of an immigration, uh, you know, problem before you to essentially, you know, frame your every step uh, during the process uh, of searching the one, searching for the one. What are your thoughts on that, Will?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I completely agree with you. And, and as someone who has sponsored before, it, it does come up, like even, you know, whether or not you are yourself private, but uh, want to have a, a quick, small ceremony, but because of immigration, you need to make sure you also have your evidence, have your letters, have your witnesses, have a little bit of a, a party. Like I, I had a similar experience. I, I got married actually the same year uh, my, my late father passed away. And culturally, I'm not supposed to have a wedding in the first year after that happens, but mm-hmm. I needed to be with my spouse. and I needed her to stay with me. So I had to you know, bend some cultural rules in, in, a, in a sense. Um, and 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 that's something that's really interesting to me too, because I think hearing from what what Majid has shared with me, I I, I, I hark back on you know the immigration context that we uh, learn from the um, all the reading and writing on on Muslim marriages is in the context of either a very traditional type process or you know talak as 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 a divorce mechanism, but we don't really get into the details. Um, so I was just meant. I, I, what I wanted to ask uh, Majid about uh, in this context was: What are some of the common misunderstandings that the public has about Muslim love and Muslim marriage? Because, you know, for example, here we've become so accustomed to individuals meeting on Tinder and, and dating and marrying, and, and that seems all normal in the North American context but I think many people don't understand the real details of some of these relationships. For you, is it considered a complication or is this, if you don't, how does faith play a role in, in, in love and marriage for you?
1: So
2: so, so in Islamic faith, uh, so I'm not an Islamic scholar. So some of my comments might not be factually correct, but but I'll give it a shot from what I understand. So in Islamic faith, uh, we, we don't, uh, don't, uh, there's no dating I mean this everybody knows right there's no uh, so so for me uh, it was not an option to just go approach somebody or, or meet on apps as you said uh, that was not an option at all uh, and uh, uh, so if for me it I mean especially because I'm an, I was on a website like this which is open to everybody and you don't know uh, if the person on that website is serious or not right you see that all the time on such forums so for me uh, because I was on this for a few months so I knew how to filter by by knew how to filter I mean just ask if if your parents are aware of this or uh, just check if, if they really are really looking for a spouse or uh, looking for somebody to just take them to a different country you know because uh so 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 the, these I, I was doing all of this that's why when when uh, I, when, I, when I sent a message to somebody on that, so I always had this formal text prepared, wherein I say, hey, uh, I went through your profile and these are the things that I like, and these are the things that I think will make us compatible. Uh, is it possible to speak uh, to your father or uh, if it's a non-Muslim, I mean, not non-Muslim, but somebody who reverted to Islam, who was a convert. So just ask if I can speak to somebody from their side, and uh, so that we can get started so so as i said this is this happens in an online setting but offline it's usually there's there's always somebody moderating the conversation it's not that uh, men and women don't speak with each other before marriage it's just that it's pretty formal uh, and it's always uh, as I said, there's always a third person when uh, they speak with each other. So, so this is how it is. And for me, it was fine because for me that shows the seriousness of the person, right? So, because I've seen friends speaking with, uh, say, a woman who initially showed interest but afterwards just backed out. And I see, I saw one of them go into depression as well. Maybe not uh, serious, but still he. Uh, so I wanted to avoid all of this. So, so this is uh, this is how usually. Uh, uh, I say a muslim marriage in which parents are not finding a match happens especially in the friend circle i know so it's so i i sent a pro- i send a proposal uh, to the elder and and the girl is free to make a choice so she can decline or she can accept it's it's not because because uh, anybody can make a decision on her behalf it's only after so she gets to decide whether she wants to accept the proposal that she's
0: So Majid, this is fascinating and I think it's super important for our decision makers and and, and frankly, even us as lawyers and and those in community to to spend more time understanding how things work in the various communities that we serve and not necessarily just impose our our Western standards of normality on on others And, and that's great to, I mean, from the story that you had and, and how, and you getting married, I think in, in, in many Western, uh, you know, decision makers eyes, or even in you know my own eyes, if I were to find a spouse, I'd find that absolutely terrifying. But for you, that's norm. And, and if it was any other way, that would be terrifying. No.
2: Yeah. Because see, I'm not the first guy who got married by meeting somebody online. Right. So, uh, uh, and, and, uh, even so when, when I got married and when I when I told my colleagues that I got married and one of my colleagues joked saying it took me 10 years uh, 10 years to you know finally uh, decide that I want to marry my girlfriend and uh, no I mean no, I expected shock from them but nobody was shocked. everybody was pretty happy and uh, and uh, as I said, uh, uh, people, uh, even though they knew, known somebody for years together, they're still not sure and uh, I mean that is that is what marriage is right you you just uh, go into it and then I, I got this all from my friends who who I was checking in uh, when I was speaking with uh, Anna and uh, so yeah.
1: Okay, Majid. Uh, thank you for sharing that. That's really fascinating. Um, and uh, like Will, I'm always in awe in hearing stories about how people meet. And uh, more or less, um, I'm not sure if I, I said it the last time during the uh, the first podcast, my background is in sociology. I have a particular... Um, Taste in um, uh, global sociology and like the sociology of various cultures, essentially, and the globalization of these things. One of the things that actually uh, I come across in my practice is the the variations and the permutations of uh, how marriage is actually seen by societies uh, writ large. Um, you're coming in from India. Could you tell us more about the misconceptions, uh, you know, from a Western standpoint, if I if I may, um, of uh, marriages in India?
2: So. Uh, I mean, in, in India is uh, pretty diverse, you know, we have plenty of cultures, the South, even in the South, it, it's not the same across the whole of South India. So one common misconception that I see, especially in the West, uh, the stereotype is that, oh, Indians marry strangers to arrange marriages, which uh, is, is not true. Uh, I mean, of course, it's not true, but uh, I mean, it, it's usually, as I said, there are too many people involved in getting two people together in India. And uh, no matter, even uh, my, my roommate, my ex-roommate, he, he got married uh, through the portal shadi.com. And uh, even though uh, the, his family found the girl on the website, but still uh, the whole family went and met the girl's family, You know, got the background information and then... Uh, it, the decision was made say in a few months so it's uh it, it's a process you know it's not that just you meet I mean that's how they show in the movies right you just go to somebody's house and then you give a thumbs up and it's marriage it's it, it, it's not like that uh but I don't know if I'm answering your question but uh it's
0: I guess I'll put it to you more bluntly as well in just in, in your opinion like being a, a racialized brown man like does going into immigration and, and, and sort of the history of Canada's uh, immigration, uh, does it weigh on your mind? Does it weigh on your mind the, 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 the elements of culture and race that underpin this area and, and submitting a sponsorship?
2: So, I mean, uh, I didn't know this until I filed my wife's application. As I said, now in, uh, I was naive to, to decide for myself that, or be only because the application is same. The immigration would look at all applications the same way because this is this is this, so. This was the thing in my head, right? Because oh, I, I have to fill the same application for a spouse from any other any country outside Canada. But only when I started working on the application and I had the package ready, and I was look checking on forums and uh, I was uh, uh, reading about people's experiences. That is when. Uh, uh, I, I should say my mind was blown and that is when I decided uh, to enroll in, into this course because UBC gives me uh, a benefit of, uh, of something called a tuition waivers wherein I can do courses uh, offered by UBC or by UBC extended learning, uh, 12 credits or an equivalent dollar amount. So there was a certificate in immigration course. So I enrolled, I submitted an application to get into that course while working on my wife's application, just to understand how, how this whole thing works. And when, because uh, uh, as I said, my, my background is analytics, I, I just, I, I didn't miss any part uh, in the application. So from the first message that I sent to my wife uh, to the last message we exchanged, I, I documented everything, the emails that I wrote to the Brazilian consulate asking for uh, uh, documents about marriage or uh, yep every every the profiles from that website the conversations from that website they documented everything but when I when I started reading about people's experiences especially people from Africa and uh, South America how applications are being looked at differently That how uh, so it broke my heart but as I said but this was so when I submitted my wife, wife's application I told her that, you know what, in worst case, they might call you for an interview to, to check if the marriage is genuine and you can just, you you be yourself, give the interview. And uh, I, I have this attitude, you know, what what's the worst that can happen, right? They can just reject the application, right? And uh, uh, you can either appeal and even if your appeal gets uh, uh, say say rejected, I can always leave the country, right? It's not that I'm stuck here, right? I didn't come in as a refugee, I came in as a skilled immigrant. And uh, I can find work anywhere, right? So so this was my attitude when I submitted the application. So the reason the immigration broke me or it's, it's, it didn't break me yet, but it's about to break me is because they sit on the application without any progress for a long time, right? So it's 17 months uh, and they haven't touched the application since they uh, sent a medical request last July. So this is what I was not prepared for. So. Uh, if they reject TRV, I was okay for a judicial review. I would have reached out to you, Will, for that. But again, they they haven't touched the TRV application at all. Five months, and now seventeen months. So, so I'm at a stage wherein uh, I'll be eligible to apply for citizenship in a few months. Now, uh, now I'm not so sure. You know, I, I might, uh, I might not. But as I said, this whole experience. Uh, yeah yeah i'm sorry this is this is difficult for me but it's, it's all good though yeah this
0: is raw and, and and that's you know i i don't have and i shouldn't do a direct comparison because when i was um an articling student i tried to sponsor uh i not sponsored i i, I try to get a, a trv for uh my then uh partner. Um, and that was rejected the first time I had one of the best immigration lawyers in Canada working on that application, but it was refused because, um, uh, my mother's, uh, bank card bank statement didn't have her full name on it. It had an initial and last name, and therefore they didn't accept that that was actually her. And therefore they didn't accept that there were sufficient funds. And in that decision, they called my, uh, then partner young, single and mobile, which, <laughs> for, for anybody who's in, in love and, and, and trying to you know hone that relationship calling someone young single mobile can be very very frustrating. So in my in my situation I end up with just nine months of separation but those nine months were hard and I can't imagine now um, in your case the 17 months I mean that's not even counting the time that you were separated before you probably submit your application. But what is life like? I think people don't understand what is life like trying to do a con- entirely virtual relationship, and now with a you know a son, as you mentioned in in your introduction.
2: Yeah, uh, so I, I did. Uh, so in my head, uh, so last when when I was supposed to travel uh, last year in April, uh, I had my vacation booked, my tickets booked, uh, but the flights were canceled, and I couldn't travel. But uh, it was getting too much for me, you know, because my wife is pregnant, and uh, uh, she she lives alone. Uh, her her father lives in the same city, but at a different place. Her parents are separated, so her mom lives in uh, Rio, and uh, her she has a sister. But uh, her brother-in-law uh, was immuno was said that he was immunocompromised, and nobody knew what COVID can do, right? So everybody was being careful. So, so she was there, pregnant, delivery in a few months, living alone, and a neighbor is a senior citizen. So, so this, so I, I was finding it very difficult to work, uh, and um, I, I traveled for my uh, wife's delivery, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I was there at my son's birth, and then I came back, and virtually, uh, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy. Uh, But technology makes it a little easier but it's it's, it's a lot of time and energy right and uh, there are always the problem with uh, the problem that i find uh, with long distance communication is uh, the misunderstanding when somebody misses a message or somebody misses a phone call it unnecessarily people start overthinking and that creates an issue but for me the biggest challenge right now i think more than the long distance it's my son growing up without me right so I'm I'm missing all these moments. So he took his first sip of water last week, and he 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 took a first bite of food, and uh, he he's trying to crawl, you know. So these are the moments that I'm missing. But uh, but yeah, this but but I, I'm sure you read about Brazil, right? The variant is creating a havoc in in Brazil. So so I'm I'm glad that they're safe. And what made it challenging was uh, she cannot afford to quit her job, right? Because it's difficult for me to support two houses and. Uh, and she she's working initially, um, they said she has to report back to work after her maternity leave. And that is when I wrote to the Council Journal in Sao Paulo. I, for, I, so I put the immigration minister, the Council Journal in Sao Paulo, where her... TF, so I didn't put, sorry, I didn't put the Council Journal in Sao Paulo. I just put the Council Journal of Mexico and the immigration minister. I sent them an email saying that my wife has to go back to work after maternity. And her father was a senior citizen a neighbor who is a senior citizen or part of or all part of her bubble if she goes out and she works in the pharmacy industry so she has to meet doctors to sell uh, her medicines whatever right so so i said you guys are putting her at risk and if she catches covid her father and uh, her neighbor can can potentially die right and uh, I'm, I'm i'm very grateful to the council journal in mexico he he immediately responded and he looped in the council journal in sao paulo and uh, she, she forwarded my email, she said she'll check in with the immigration section. But after that, there, there hasn't been any progress on the visa application. And we did get a, a acknowledgement that we are exempt uh, from the, the email that you sent, right? Saying that you're exempt from travel after you submit a TRV application you're supposed to write to another email saying that you are exempt so the one good thing that happened from all this is that we received that acknowledgement in January but there hasn't been any progress uh, since then
0: so did you do the TRV to try and reunite is that- yeah, yeah yeah okay yep. but that's, that's so that also is still in progress even yep. with the circumstances yeah yes wow that's, I mean, that's painful, LJ. I mean, uh, you know, as someone yeah. who's about to become a father and, and thinking about even right now before the child is born, the, the many steps, I, I want to be there for every second, right? Like exactly, right.
1: Yeah. Um, I do. I've similarly you... situated uh, clients, unfortunately, who have to uh, deal with separation. But in Majid's case, it's actually interesting, and he uh, touched on a topic of uh, about having to maintain two households, mm-hmm. having to do glo- global householding, being being a father remotely and uh you know having to care for them having to think about their welfare you know thousands and thousands of kilometers away it's it's the amount of anxiety that that, that creates on a person so i can't even imagine how how this would be you know for for someone who's uh you know in a situation such as majid or, or people who are waiting for even longer because uh, majid's yeah. outlandish it's already outlandish as 17 months uh, but I've heard uh, longer stories and Majid did touch on that earlier. Um, yeah. So I-, I can't even imagine what uh, what kind of like emotional, psychological, um, you know, and mental stress that, that they have to live through. Um, that sort of like, you know, brings us to a segue because he did touch on something. It does appear that he is exempt from travel restrictions, okay. but it does appear that his TRV is not moving. Um, yeah. Any take on that, Will? Well, I mean,
0: that's where the government uh, apparently indicated an in, in updated dual intention uh, mm. instructions that they were supposed to help uh, applicants, right. uh, you know, at least on paper. But in, in mm-hmm. practice, right. I've, I've heard the same stories as Majid, that if you're applying from certain countries or if your application right. is one of the ones that's stuck in the process right now, uh, they're, they're not going to give that visa very easily. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what, what we've seen as well. Um, I was going to ask that question as well, Majeed. It's like, you know, we, we, we appear to have a, a two-tiered system, one with individuals who, who require visas like your spouse and then um, others for individuals who are from countries where you can get an ETA or get an exemption quickly and, and be here in a couple of uh, weeks possibly once that's finalized. Um, what do you think of that system being someone who's in the midst of it right now? Like, do you have thoughts and, and how would you change that? So uh,
2: here's what happened. So my naivety was not, really, uh, was not exclusively on the sponsorship application. So when, so when, 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 we, when I proposed, uh, when I sent in a proposal, my wife accepted and we were about to get, we, we were going to get married in a few months. My wife said, you know what, let me apply for an American visa, you know, because Brazilians go, go to uh, Miami a lot on a holiday, right? So she said, you know what, let me get, let me apply for an American visa. And if, if you're a Brazilian, if you have an American visa, all you need is an ETA to come to Canada, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know what I said, don't do that uh, because uh, apply for a visa only if you have to travel to the U.S., you're not traveling to the U.S., so let's not do that because when you come to Canada, the, the border is very close from here, right? So And my brother lives in Seattle, so so I I put down that proposal. I said, you know what, don't apply for the American visa, just wait. Uh, the immigration should should happen or at least we'll apply for a canadian TRV, right uh-huh. and uh, so uh, when when i when i started reading about uh how other countries are doing it and uh, i've seen that they they have an exempt exemption you know for uh, spouses or fiancés or uh, people who are in real common law relationship right but uh, but i think canada did have that but they didn't closed it uh-huh. but I, I I don't know in in general I don't have a comment in general on uh, say visa versus no visa, but for families because that is what uh, I, I'm concerned about at this point. So for families, I think they should be an exception uh, because I mean of course there's fraud in every immigration stream, right? Not only family sponsorship, but it's just that this is being singled out and uh, everybody who gets married is looked at it as a. Uh, is, is guilty, right? Everybody's submitting application just to prove that the real marriage is real, right? So, mm-hmm. so, uh, but yeah, uh, I think for families, uh, there should be some sort of an exception, you know? Uh, uh, I think that is what uh, the first, uh, one of that that was the first uh, proposal from the advocacy groups, right? Give a special TRB for families. And I find it funny that they didn't even acknowledge it. You know, I haven't heard in any statements that, uh, they are even planning to do something about it.
1: That's right. Yeah. In fact, uh, back in the summer of 2020, if uh, you know, will, if you recall, uh, Jenny Kwan, the uh, NDP shadow minister for immigration wrote to uh, our immigration minister, Marco Mandicino, asking about the delays in the uh, TRV applications, especially for those who are trying to reunite with their families in Canada. Um, and in that letter, uh, she actually uh, dealt with uh, 179B, section 179B of the regulations. Um, and for those uh, who are not in the know, 179B is that section in the regulations that talk about um, you know, uh, being in Canada and leaving at the end of your period of authorized stay. Will, do you want to talk about, um, you know, possible policy interventions in regards to that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I think this will make a really good segue to our next portion. So I think we will, mm. uh, I want to ask one more question. And then I think we're going to go to our po- policy ponder party segment uh, to <laughs> talk about, that. of course, less so a party today after hearing uh, Majid's quite heavy story. Yeah. And, um, Majid, our our thoughts are with your family and we hope that they are here soon so we can uh, go get uh, bubble tea in the the neighborhood. (laughs) It's like 10 minutes away from me, um, which is is awesome. I'm glad to have a a neighbor like Majid in in the community. Um, So the the, the one question I want to finalize on maybe before we head to our policy discussion portion is that of organizing, because I think one of the biggest challenges of, of being in the process of immigration is that feeling of being handcuffed, uh, unable to really speak out against this process for fear that your application may get some repercussion or that, you know, someone's listening or watching and, and and might, you know, make an issue with your own immigration matters or, you know, even in your employer, you know, what, whether they are watching and um, all of that adds a lot of stress. But I think one thing we have seen through COVID, which has been really amazing, is that individuals who, who, who have been affected are finally saying, you know what, I wanna speak out because I can't have this injustice happen to my family or my loved ones. And I'm willing to put my voice out there. And Majid, I know you're doing the same thing by coming on our show and sharing your story in a very personal way, but can you talk a bit about some of the efforts that have been ongoing in the community, uh, in, the, in the migrant communities? I've seen a lot of, especially women of color, uh, black indigenous women, uh, various uh, different communities step up uh, during this time um, to, to call out the government on racial injustice and specifically the way that migrant communities have been treated during COVID.
2: Yep. Yeah, so, the first time I came across uh, advocacy was uh, Jennifer's petition at Change.org. I think she created for her husband, and uh, uh, that is how I came across a Facebook group because I was looking this looking for. Um, I, because I wasn't I'm, I was sure that I wasn't the only one who was affected by this or was going to get affected by this so so uh, I, I came across Jen's petition and uh, they uh, I, I joined the group uh, but but I but my contribution to the advocacy has been nil uh, and I, I didn't I didn't contribute much even though I was it was part of the initial discussions just, just as a member, but, but there was no contribution from my end. But recently, last month, I said, you know what, every, because all the advocacy groups are focused on reuniting families, because that's, that's the primary purpose, right? Then, uh, I, you know, I, I, I told myself, you know what, let's fix the system because, okay, if, if, if I, I advocate, maybe my application will go in quickly right? But what about uh, the community members? Because, I mean, uh, Canadians or permanent residents or anybody who's in Canada is free to marry whoever they want, right? Within Canada or outside, and they will continue to get into relationships with people in Canada or abroad. So I, I was pretty sure that this will be an ongoing thing. Then uh, I sta- I started uh, to, I want, I want, I wouldn't say I wanted, I, I want to have, say, uh, more on fixing this whole uh, process because some of the questions that were asked in the sponsorship application are pretty medieval, you know, it's like, uh, it's, it's uh, I mean, for example, one of the questions that was like, oh, if your parents didn't attend, attend your wedding, please explain, right? I mean, why, why should I explain? I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm 25, 27 years old, right? So why, why should I explain my, if my mom or my dad is not, are not attending my wedding? And it's funny they ask for that explanation and many, many other questions which don't make sense in 21st century. So I so even I mean those were the details, but before that, you know what I said? I thought start with uh, shifting to online application. Yes. So the reason I put that whole advocacy thing, I put out a tweet asking for organizers, people approached me, but there was this one lady who, who said she'd like to volunteer, but she said because she separated from her husband. It's, it's very difficult for her uh, to focus on these things. She promised. She said, the day my husband is here, I'll, I'll join your effort. And, and that really uh, touched me because I'm in the same place, you know, wherein I want to go all out on, uh, say, fixing this uh, uh, family sponsorship application, you know, f- uh, as a group, not as an individual. But then I thought, as I said, my, my son is growing up without me and my wife's not here. And uh, it, it's 17 months, and uh, people people have already started speaking in, in our friends and relatives. Why does it take 17 months, right? So, so but but then you know I, I kind of paused on that. But I might eventually get to that. You know, uh, even say when my wife is here, or even before that, it's just that I need I need some space now. I, I need some peace of mind. Because mm-hmm. a- advocacy would involve reaching out to members of parliament, being on the social media, or, uh, or just I'm not I'm not ready for that right now, but I would eventually for sure uh, 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 you know, work on this, as I said, the starting points just to get that online application. So in my head, even if a single person suffers, uh, uh, it, the, the procedure has to be, I mean the process has to be fixed because it's funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, a trigger warning for people who are listening, but you know what I was thinking this morning, I said, because I live on the ninth floor, and I'm perfectly okay, uh, 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 mentally and everything, but I was thinking, oh, maybe it will take uh, somebody to harm themselves for the immigration system to change, you know, that's how things operate in the government, right? And I felt so bad at that thought, why am then, you know, it's, uh, I, I apologize, but this is what was going through my head that, you know, somebody has to hurt themselves, because people have admitted openly that they're calling suicide helplines. And uh, I, I can understand, you know, I can understand where they're coming from. But, but this is what I was thinking, that it will take, uh, say, somebody to harm themselves, that is when the opposition will come in, that is when the public sentiment will be triggered, and that is when the immigration will finally acknowledge, uh, what separating families will do. Wow. So, yeah. Thanks
0: for sharing that Majid, And, and, um, you know, I see you and feel you and I, and I call out on our profession as well, LJ. Like, uh, I'm going to ask you LJ to share your experiences now as well, just so we can all, you know, share that we have these stories in our own families as well. It's our friends. It's the P it's, we, we ourselves are sponsors. We ourselves are the sponsored, um, and too often, uh, you know, bureaucrats and individuals have been able to hide behind the, the safety of their homes and their families next to them without a care of what's going on to the families that are impacted by this. So, LJ, maybe I'll ask you this question, like, tell me about your your, your proximity to sponsorship and, and why this is so important to you.
1: Um, you know, n- My story will pale in comparison to what Majid and all our friends are going through right now. My heart aches and goes out to all those families who are separated by, you know, not just by the pandemic, but, you know, this has been a disaster that's been waiting to happen, to be honest with you. For not having digitized this process, it really speaks volumes as to, um, you know, how much um, investment the government has made in terms of like uh, modernizing the uh, family class sponsorships and applications. But on a personal note, I did uh, actually immigrate to Canada through the family class. Um, And it's sort of like, you know, a segue, a nice segue to kind of like stand on the, uh, I guess like the soapbox in a way that uh, for, for people who think that family sponsorship is a drag on the economy, it's not. Uh, there's a lot of people who actually come to Canada through the fa- family sponsorship route who are actually active contributors to Canada directly and indirectly. Uh, there's a lot of ways that, uh, you know, uh, families that are reali- reunited essentially have realized potentials in contributing to the economy. So, so there's a lot of things that are not accounted for in traditional economic and statistical senses uh, that uh, the government is not looking at. And uh, perhaps um, you know the silver lining, if if I may, you know, try to put a little bit of optimism into into the the, the whole problem right now is that at least we have government's attention. Um, And I really definitely hope that, you know, it doesn't take someone to harm themselves as Majid, but it's a terrible thought. Um, And I understand why it it would would come across your mind Majid, Uh, but definitely, you know, for for people in a position to advocate for this, uh, people in the profession such as yourself, uh, Will, such as myself, when I talk to people, I try to engage with them and tell them that, listen, you know, we really need to make this system work uh, better for the people who are actually trying to access services from the government like this.
0: Absolutely.
1: And it starts just with simple steps, like
0: acknowledge what's going on, create a portal so applicants know what's going on in the application in a more accurate way, not your your 75%, 100% ready bar, but nothing has happened bar. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. Um, I, I, think that the communication has been a problem. The tone has been a problem and, and this is something that we need to work on. And I, I think this is a, an, an incredible segue to, to our next segment, because we're going to really delve into some of the policy issues now and, and some of the recommendations we have. And, and we're going to ask Majid for some of his thoughts as well. Uh, he, he, he touched on some of them uh, moving the system more digital, but maybe we'll go into some more detail. So I'd like to start our next section and session, uh, and this is going to be, uh, one we're going to alternate with the uh the dork out the 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 data drop dork out that we did last time sometimes we won't just be looking at stats sometimes we'll be looking at policies and today we're gonna do a policy policy ponder party although uh, a bit less of a party today because obviously not very much to celebrate in this area uh during covid um but something that we can do together to hopefully bring some recommendations and even if someone who is listening to this uh from an important position can uh Can bring up some of these ideas and recommend some changes because it's desperately needed. So without further ado, the policy ponder party segment. To begin, um, we want, I want to build a little bit on what LJ has said. Um, He talked about the family as an undesirable uh, unit, the family unit is undesirable in immigration, and I wanted to pull out a couple quotes just to frame our conversation today. In 1966, Tom Kent, the Deputy Minister for Manpower and Immigration, who was responsible for the 1966 White Paper, which was really influential in the development of immigration said, uh, as early as 1966, before the adoption of the point system in 1967, those sponsored under the family class were seen as unskilled or uneducated. So Tom Kent, Deputy Minister said, family class equals unskilled and uneducated. So what Kent tried to do was he sought to, reform the sponsorship system in, in order to avoid the potential for explosive growth in unskilled labor force. So from those days, this idea of um, if we did not fix the sponsor system or, or limited, there would be uh, an unskilled labor force and it would create political controversy. Um, and then what this has led to is essentially what Megan Goucher has written. And, and if you haven't read this book yet, I'm going to do a little bit of a book club, a plug, a family matter, uh, Professor Megan Goucher, just an incredible voice on this. Um, while family class has been identified as a priority by politicians in electoral rhetoric, so every election they ask and they say families will get that together, it has indeed re- received minimal substantive policy attention and is right, generally right. being treated as an afterthought. And Majid just mentioned earlier, it's one of the last applications to still remain paper based. That's right. Processed outside Canada largely in, in different these yeah. offices. Yeah,
2: but they, during COVID, they did they did launch, I mean, it's not that the government is not listening for citizenship applications. They did launch uh, a pilot to test uh, single applicants applying for themselves, not for their families to submit uh, applications online, but they haven't done anything of this sort for family sponsorship, you know? So, so the government is listening, but it's just that, as you said, uh, family class is not in their uh, list of things to do. And what, what I'm afraid is that if COVID cannot push, move them, I don't know what else can, right? So.
0: So, LG, do you want to talk about the the government's request for uh, the CIM, CIMM, the uh, Committee on Immigration? Uh, the parliament asked for uh, some feedback from the community. And we actually That's did right. a report, but maybe you can talk about that report and, and where, are we at, where we're at with that.
1: For sure, yeah, thanks. Um, interestingly, uh, this was back in, uh, I believe it was November of uh, 2020. Uh, we were uh, invited uh, by our friends in the advocacy groups, uh, Jen, to be specific. Uh, she um, asked us to uh, potentially uh, put in a submission on behalf of uh, our new uh, foundation. Uh, and uh, what we did uh, focus on are a few tangible things that can be done immediately and very quickly, rapidly deployed by the government of Canada. Uh, one of that would be uh, the suspension, a temporary public policy suspension of section 179B of the immigration refugee protection regulations, which would uh, essentially create an error exception for those who are uh, essentially being sponsored as permanent residents under a family class. Um, Interestingly there was another um, point that was raised by uh, Raj Sharma on Twitter he said that if people are waiting for more than 12 months maybe the government should uh, you know direct the decision makers to be to go easy on the dual intent analysis and to go easy on the 179 application on on these applicants uh, Especially since it's creating tremendous anxiety and pressure and stress on families uh, being separated. Um, Majid is a perfect example, and thank you for sharing your stories. You're, you're missing out on critical moments in the life of your your son, in the life of your family, and um, you know that that's something that is essentially where the cruelty of 179 uh, comes in. Uh, so that was one of our um, you know submissions and suggestions uh, to the government, um, and unfortunately. Uh, there's no movement as far as I know. Um, Will, do you know if anything about
0: 179B? Uh, so far, no movement. And I mm-hmm. think spouses are, are rightfully concerned. I think I was quoted in the TAI saying this today, but we know when Express Entry opens the door to 27,000 individuals who are fighting for the same uh, medical exams, the same biometric, right. same third party requests, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't give a good impression to those who are already in this system. That's right. It, waiting for their applications to be processed years later. Um, Majid, do you, do you have any thoughts on, I mean, you mentioned a couple recommendations earlier in, in in this show about, you know, moving the system online, reforming some of the questions that are in the forms. Some of them mm-hmm. seem, you know, medieval and outdated. What are some of the other recommendations you would have about this process? Like, are there ways that we can make this, easier given as well, the global context that we know these are applications are being delayed for visa from, from applicants for certain countries and certain visa offices, right? This is not, uh, it's not being uniformly experienced by everyone. It's Certain people are getting it worse than others. And how do we tackle that as a system? Sorry, big question.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, uh, as I said, I, I just looked into those few questions when I was filling in the form and uh, making this process online so but but I, I would take a step back and even uh, speak from a uh, I mean uh, I see a lot of lawyers, especially immigration lawyers ask for oversight on CBSA, right? Why is it still not why is there no oversight on CBSA officers or things like that? And it was acknowledged and I think they, the, the Parliament did put, put up something on that front whereas, there is no same energy for IRCC because IRCC technically, especially on family sponsorship, is a black box, right? Nobody except for the notes that you see on GC, uh, on, on, on uh, AITP, you, you don't exactly know what's going on and what's taking such a long time, right? So, so, I mean, I would start from there because what I feel is that once you have an oversight, when the public is looking at it, Things and the processes will automatically improve because there'll be heavy criticism if something is very shabby, right? So, I mean, we've all have seen the pictures that kind of went viral in this community about the paper uh, applications lying in visa office, and one officer, uh, the, the pile of applications, one officer is looking at, right? So, if if, if such kind of things become more transparent, uh, I think that that's a start, but. Uh, e- I mean, I mean, the, there are plenty of proposals that have been put up, right? Some, I mean, uh, you you guys outlined them, so I don't have anything of value to add. But the one that I really like, uh, I think LJ mentioned it. If an application crosses 12 months, get a get, get give a TRV automatically. You know, uh, maybe that will push them to sponsor visas on time. Uh, but but Will, but I'm sorry, I I, I don't have. Uh, fix uh, measures the reason i took that online thing is because imagine a process which is already notorious for taking over 12 months and you reject somebody's application after seven months saying there's a missing signature it's like stabbing somebody in the heart right so so for, yeah. for this reason i said uh uh you know the online is is it's just the beginning yeah but, but uh will i'm sorry i i don't have
0: oh no, no. and then again with how much you're going through, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that we should be spending our time thinking about and we should be proposing. So I'm going to propose one more thing while you're talking on that, uh, on that point. Uh, and, I, and I know, you know, on and off things have been got, gotten, gotten maybe a little bit better in the last couple months after being really bad, like a couple months before that. But IRCC stopped sending back spousal sponsorship applications like a year later. Um, and grant those open work permits for those who are applying inside Canada. I know it's not ideal that there's a two-tiered system right now so so many people are applying inside Canada um, when mm-hmm. outside processing should be quicker but don't be sending applications back for missing little tiny things such as postal codes in countries often where there aren't postal codes so it's That's not right. even send back. Um, another one is you know with, without missing birth certificates for example when there's you know, uh, apparently a requirement for an explanation letter, but it's not written anywhere. And if people put mm. another document that's equivalent to birth certificate, it's not accepted and it's sent back. These are little things that just stress the heck out of uh, the clients who are, who are uh, and I mean, clients, but generally it's the applicants and sponsors who are at the heart of this. LJ, your thoughts?
1: One example, another example, actually, just to add on to uh, Will's p- pile is, um, you know, I've heard of a story where someone who put in Ottawa, Canada, asked place of residence and got refused because they didn't put the province. Yeah. I wonder where Ottawa in Canada is and which province that is. Any person who works for government. I mean, come on guys, like, you know, let's be real. Uh, I know that you have a tough job, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, for someone who has to wait another year, essentially to get back, in the queue, um, in the hopes that actually everything's going to work out, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a lot. That's a lot to take.
0: And I, and I think the automated system and, and I think, it, you know, cross-board is going to help a lot where if you do submit it online, like an Express engine, you get generated an acknowledgement or a receipt. If you're right. missing an upload or if you're missing a, a field, that application is not getting through or you're not going to the next page, right? And that's how it is Mm. in Express Entry. And and as Majid said, it probably should be the same way for spousals. Uh, There's no reason why it shouldn't be. And it would cut down processing times. It would save a lot of grief. And I think it's generally a good thing. And it it needs to be invested in this, I would say, as soon as possible.
1: Right. Another another suggestion that we did put, Will, was, uh, you know, in order to actually address some of the backlogs is to open, you know, uh, auxiliary offices in Canada where there are no lockdowns. Uh, One of the biggest challenges uh, that's facing immigration is, in fact, that uh, the office that accepts uh, inland spousal uh, sponsorships is here in Mississauga, Ontario, and currently we're still in a gray zone, uh, which basically, you know, a few weeks ago, everything was still shut down. Um, So counting that from December, closer to end of February, there was nothing happening out of CPCM. So mm-hmm. you can imagine, uh, you know, if, if you can just transfer that kind of work to another office essentially to create redundancies within the system, right? Things like that can help and go a long way, especially when you look at it from a more global picture. Because uh, at the end of the day, uh, not all visa application centers are actually open at the moment. Um, yeah. So a lot of countries, and as Will and um, Majid yourself, you touched on this, um, you know, not everyone is being treated equally, in a sense, because, you know, n- some offices, there's no movement at all. Yeah.
2: And then one proposal that I had was, you know, a permanent resident cannot uh, live outside the country when a sponsorship application is progress, and the same doesn't apply to citizens. So even if I were to quit my job and move back, I, I, I'll, I'll have to withdraw my wife's application, whereas a citizen... Uh, uh, as an upper hand, their citizen can just quit their job and go live with their family abroad, whereas permanent residents cannot. So maybe that's, that's, especially during this time, I was expecting a public policy telling uh, visa officers to go easy on uh, permanent residents who are abroad yeah. to stay with their family during this time. But it looks like, I mean, maybe there are less of people like that, so that were that came in and there was no advocacy around it. But this is something that should be looked at as well, wherein if, if you're taking 12 months to sponsor somebody, I mean, as I said, a citizen can go because uh, I, I know of somebody who just moved back, moved to South America to live with their to yeah. to, to, to 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 live, you know, so that because their application was rejected. But whereas for mm-hmm. permanent residents, they, they don't have this option, you know. They if they if they submit an application, they, their residency have to be in Canada. So and the onus is on them, right? Because the applicant, they can just reject because now they they have this information sharing with CBSA mm-hmm. as well, which I don't know how did it go through. wherein they have access to entry and exit information, right. which uh, I've been told that the lawyers or the the people were not very happy with this uh, development. But yeah, so permanent residents should be should be exempt. You know, they should be given the same rights as a citizen in term when they are sponsoring a partner from abroad.
0: Yeah, and absolutely. Now, with, where there where there are travel restrictions, where there is not the ability to sort of freely go back and forth, that that something like this, a temporary exemption allowing permanent residents to be able to uh, live abroad for a short term period while awaiting processing, especially when the processing is not is out of their control, sounds like a very very reasonable policy. So, I mean, Majid, actually, on, on that note, I mean, how does being a student of immigration, how has that helped you sort of come up with some of these ideas and, and- and, and sort of by, and theories and, and thoughts, is, is, has it played a role?
2: Yeah, but, uh, I mean, the course was really helpful and, and you're one of the instructors as well on that, right? So, uh, it, it, uh, yeah, because see the, the terms that I'm using, this public policy or all that, this was all Greek and Latin to me a few months ago, right? It's only because uh, I, I'm sponsoring my wife is that I know these terms. I know these terminologies, and uh, I'm still studying. I have uh, two more courses left before I graduate. Uh, but but yeah, it 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 was good, and uh, for the most part, as I said, uh, I mean Canada compared to other countries looks at immigration uh, in in a positive light, right? Compared to our neighbors, uh, but but yeah, uh, as I said, I think. Uh, uh there is a lot of opportunity it's not that they haven't done this in other areas it's just that uh, i mean even if i mean maybe i'm I'm going off topic but even if you look at the salaries of ircc officers or people people who are looking at applications i mean they can be paid well you know it's, it's just that there's no investment uh uh in, in in technology or resources i mean come on it it shouldn't take eight years for them to fix their website, wherein it keeps going in loop and you have to clear your cache, use different browsers, right? This this was there in 2014 and yeah. it's still there to this day, right? So I'm sure they can invest in in, in technology or people uh, to get the process better.
0: Well, thank you so much, Majid, for, for sharing that. And uh, this will bring our, our policy ponder party to a, uh, close and set up for our final segment. Uh, I know. Thank you, Majid, for taking so much time uh, with us today. We really appreciate conversation with you, and I think both of us have learned a lot uh, and definitely reflected a lot on our own experiences uh, through this uh, call with you. So, hopefully, we can do a bit of a shift in tone. Um, actually, LJ, do you want to introduce the next section? Since I always do the introductions, but this one. Welcome
1: to the Lightem Round, fellas. So we're now in round three of our podcast, this episode, we're in the light and round round segment where we ask each other a question, a total of, of you know, about three questions uh, today. Uh, last time we did this between the two of us, Will and I, uh, this time, Majid, you're going to come and join us in the party. So let me start it off, actually. So um, let me start off with our special guest, Majid. Uh, if you could choose one place to bring your significant other. Uh, or a loved one in your city, where would it be? So I understand you're in Burnaby, let's just say greater Vancouver area. Um, bonus, if you could relate it to a diasporic experience. Uh,
2: I would I would take her to the Crystal Mall. It's funny because we, I was discussing <laughs> Crystal Mall with my friends uh, because that was the first mall that I went to after I came to Canada. And, uh, and I'm, I'm sure my wife would love that uh, experience of... Uh, because uh, I think Crystal Mall is is pretty unique, uh, and I would love to take her there. I mean, it's 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 walkable distance from my place, and mm. and uh, I I would love to visit that place with my wife because it's it's. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I don't have to describe Crystal Mall, but but yeah, uh, that, that's that's the place. I'll go eat food for sure for there. The food is cheap and it's very authentic and. The best part about Bristol Mall is that they list prices after taxes, just like in India, right? So so (laughs) it it, it reminds me of home when I look at the price tax uh,
1: there. No math, no math involved. I I do enjoy that. Like when stores do that, Uh, there's more and more of them that that does that. How about you, Will? Well, I was going to say, LJ, if you come to Vancouver, which you will very, very
0: soon, as soon as the pandemic is over, Uh, we will film a special episode here. We're taking you to the Crystal Mall and <laughs> we're having the Malaysian uh, Singaporean food there. The Malaysian food oh. is incredible. Probably one of the best charcoal tails I've had outside of uh, KL. So you're coming and we're definitely having a, a, a policy ponder party in the middle of Crystal Mall uh, with all the aunties pushing carts around and oh, yes. uh, all, the, all, all my people. So yes, love to the <laughs> Crystal Mall. Thank you Majid for the, <laughs> the shout out. A few minutes away from home. I go there like twice a week. So nice. I, love
2: it. Um, I have one more. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 so yeah, I, no, mentioned, I, I mentioned I mentioned this mall because it. I lived here for, for a long time in Burnaby, but the other place is uh, the Pyle Business Center on Scott Road in Surrey. Yes. Uh, so that's you know whenever I miss India, I go there. Uh, so that that's another place. Uh, have, have you have you been to Pyle Business Center? Yeah, I've here? been
0: to Pile Business Center. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, Scott Road. Of uh, it's, I mean, I mean, actually, it's interesting. It's, I mean, it's very Punjabi. I mean, I, I, I'm sure for you too. Like some of the Punjabi uh, is 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 it familiar? A little different. Like what what is what does that feel I mean. like? About the sweets and the food and the.
2: No, so, so the, the thing that you said about aunties, it's it's the same thing in Pile Business <laughs> Center, right? I see people dressed like my mom and things like that. I'm sorry, <laughs> LJ, you're just speaking all Vancouver. No, yeah. no, 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 <laughs> yeah.
1: no, I, I totally get it. I can yeah. vicariously relate. I, I have a place here in uh, Mississauga that I go to. It's called, um, um, I forget the name of the mall itself. It's a building. It's actually not too far from the airport. And, and funny enough, I always see CBSA officers there eating uh, during lunch. <laughs> um. Anyway, there's this place called Lemongrass Kitchen and, uh, you know, all the uh, East Asian and Southeast Asian and like, you know, uh, so trying to sell us and like, you know, calling us out, uh, you know, in, in either like uh, Mandarin or sometimes I hear them even shouting in Tagalog, which is great.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Well, it, it seems like this segment just turned into a
0: food segment. It always does. Again, yeah. It's also like 6.30 and both Majid and I are like <laughs> waiting, waiting for, I know, I know it's a little bit later for you, LJ, but we'll, we'll say it again. You're probably not eating because you're too busy working. But uh, <laughs> uh, my, um, my place actually would also be somewhat food related, but it's become my favorite grocery store and actually really close to where you live, uh, Majid, should check it out. Uh, the Asi market, I, I have so much love for the Asi market. It's a Korean market um it's on king's way not too far away from uh where 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 we live in burnaby but again just walking into a korean supermarket with all korean aunties and, and all the korean kimbap and the different food that's there but also just seeing how it's become like a melting pot for the asian community coming together and sharing grocery experiences especially during covid where there's like limitations and you have to line up out the door sometimes and you know but you know that you whenever you get the anahasio and then and, and the nice service and, and the good food and, and people together, even sharing that weekly routine of just buying apples is, is is a wonderful beautiful thing. So hopefully sooner rather than later we can all all get together and, and start sharing these experiences in a safe way together without the need for masks and all those things that uh unfortunately What do you
1: know? An episode live in person together. That would be great. Oh,
0: that would be incredible. <laughs> it has to be in Burnaby though, because you know no, that's fine. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so lg how about yourself like i know you mentioned uh, wh- where is your uh go-to it doesn't have to be a food one it could just be i you know you know your are a biker which uh is another incredible experience. oh
1: yeah well I-, I do cycle a lot um you know now that it's getting warmer obviously i'm, I'm trying to take advantage of that um yeah um, my you know actually my weekly bi-weekly meditative ride along the uh humber river trail Uh, It's about 25 to 40 kilometers, depending on how far I want to go. Um, On good days, especially during the summer, I try to make it to Lake Ontario from up here, the Clairville uh, Dam uh, Reservoir, essentially. Um, Takes me about an hour and a half to two hours, um, you know, to get halfway um, and then take a pause uh, and then keep on going. Uh, That's sort of my thing, um, you know, here in in my area. Food related, I think I already shared.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So question two of three and this one actually relates a lot to what Majid said today and I wanted to add this question because it it is fun, but it also has a a deeper uh, value as well. But what is one thing folks misunderstand about your cultural community that you want to correct on record and it could be something small like this is not actually the way we do things uh, or it could be something bigger, uh, more systemic be like. You no, we're not all the same in, in a certain way. But what, what would it be? And maybe I'll start with you, Majid. Um, again, Muslim community. Much love to my Muslim brothers and sisters, but definitely one of the most misunderstood uh, cultural communities and religious communities that I know. Uh,
2: this, so this one's funny. Uh, when I was trying to get married here in Canada, or just get married in general, right? So one of the things that came up to me, because my beard was longer than and uh, people assumed that I'm an extremist, and uh, mm-hmm. and it, it's okay if it's coming from other communities because maybe they don't know uh, Islam or they don't know Muslim people, but when it started coming from my own folks, you know, because one of the one of the friends he joked saying, uh, "Oh, I don't want you to oppress a woman," that's why I'm not finding any girls to get married. He made this comment, and uh, it, it's funny. What's funny is that uh, so I was raised by a single mother my father passed away when i was one year old and she so my mom has been working as a school teacher since then and for me i grew up uh, uh imagining as a kid that nobody needs a father to grow up grow i mean, I mean to live right so so I, I come from this background wherein i've always seen a woman as somebody who works hard takes care of the kids and provides for them who places education uh, and character uh, in, ahead of everything. And uh, she moved out of her in-laws. She was living uh, in an apartment by herself with the kids, but only because somebody practices a faith, which, uh, which they have a bias against. So, so, that's, so I mean, uh, for me, I mean, what that experience taught me is that uh, I, I don't judge people by their appearance or uh, their looks or what they wear or what they eat. It's just that only after you know them, you know, uh, it's then when you can make a comment or any statement about them, applies to any set of people. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah. So, you know what, I, I used to joke saying that the more, the moment somebody makes a comment about my beard, I wish it grew a, grew an inch longer, you know, just to <laughs> piss them off, so, yeah. Yes.
0: Thanks for sharing that, Majid, and a very personal story as well. LJ, what about yourself, the Filipina,
1: Next community. Uh, Yeah. um, We're
0: gonna talk about this next week, by the way, y'all have to wait for next week. There'll be Really
1: excited about next week's episode too, for sure. But but yeah, like a a common cultural stereotype for Filipinos around the world over really is that we're all nurses for some reason, or we're all some sort of healthcare worker. That's not true guys. Um, While it is true that statistically speaking, more or less, you'll find a lot of uh, Filipino nurses everywhere. Uh, my ex got confined at a, a hospital in Sacramento after developing appendicitis, appendicitis while uh, attending Burning Man, had to get ra- rushed to the hospital. And of course, the, the nurses that uh, he, he dealt with were um, uh, Filipinas, um, titas, essentially, um, offering him, uh, you know, um, fried noodles, <laughs> a pancit. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's nice. It's a nice stereotype. But, you know, guys, we're not all nurses. Um, so it, it's 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 not really, a, you know, a, I guess, like as dark as um, Majid's like, you know, you know, that the people would think that people are extremists. But in Filipinos um, case, like, you know, we're not all nurses. Uh, we, we come in all shapes, forms and sizes. Yeah, that's a good one. And I'll share just one from from the Chinese
0: uh, Canadian community and again so broad I can't speak for an entire community uh, but that's just it uh, I think our, our community and our diasporas uh, are, are across the world through various different countries to Canada often um, coming and leaving China for various different reasons and in other cases Hong Kong Taiwan mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's important uh, before you throw all Chinese uh, and paint everyone with one brush and, and you know draw narratives on, on certain issues uh, that you think about uh, who the individual is and their background and ask them questions and get to know it. I mean, one of the great things about our countries too, and I I think I speak for uh, all three of us is it's so internally diverse, so internally complicated um, that, you know, one town, two hours away from another town can have beef or can have some sort of disagreement and miscommunication or, or, or even like share something, but not be similar in another way. Um, and that's something that we might not see as much in Canada because we sometimes are a little too monolithic in one certain shade of something, but you know, we are a, uh, the world is complicated and i think it's 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 never good to just take a unilateral one-sided view of everything and that's what we try to do on the show by being balanced and looking at both sides of things as well mm-hmm. um wonderful so final question uh is this is the fun one this is i the really very-
1: like this one yeah
0: like this one if you could have four figures from your country of origin or diasporic community join you on an island to try and survive for a week. And again, you're not gonna have anything else, just yourselves, just people. Uh, right. uh, who would you bring and why? And we'll start with LJ on this one, give the uh, <laughs> guest a little more time to think. Sure. Uh, amazing answer. Of course, LJ, I know you're gonna give an amazing one too, but
1: who would you bring? <laughs> Off the top of my head, the uh, late uh, Carlos Saldran. Funny enough, is uh, 2019 uh, before all of this pandemic mess started, I was supposed to uh, meet him in Madrid in Spain. Uh, unfortunately, on my layover, long layover in Dublin, I found out that he passed away that same night. Uh, so it was a it was a tough one. Uh, but I have uh you know had the chance to uh, interact with him uh, several times when uh, I would visit Manila. Uh, first through his tours, um, he does historical tours, tours of the uh, historical city center, frames Philippine history amazingly and in, 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 in a way that you know no other historian is able to do, to be honest, he's, he's his background is theater. Um, second person would be uh, Maria Ressa. She is a former Jakarta Bureau Chief for CNN International. Who is now the CEO or the editor in chief of uh, Rappler.com? Uh, it's a an online based uh, news organization in the Philippines. She's the uh, at the receiving end of various uh, you know vexatious um, prosecutorial uh, persecutorial I want to say uh, cases by um, by the government, unfortunately, uh, for for essentially speaking out, speaking truth to power. Uh, I'm a very big fan. Um, you know, other people would be um, national figures, such as uh, our, our, our national hero from the Philippines, uh, Dr. Jose Rizal. Uh, really would love to pick his brain, seriously. Um, died at the age of, uh, you know, some, sometime in his 30s, uh, managed to write two novels, uh, can speak like 10 languages. Um, you know, lived in Europe, uh, lived in Asia, spent time in Cuba, spent time in Hong Kong, uh, you know, uh, talking to revolutionaries in the nationalist movement in China, in Cuba, uh, even traveled across the U.S., uh, talked about the contrast in racial inequality in the U.S. Uh, he was a man a century ahead of his time, really. Um, finally, um, one other person that I'd like to, you- you'll find this a little funny, um, you know, people might actually hate me for this, Manny Pacquiao um (laughs) he's he's an amazing character honestly i would also like to pick his brain i want to understand how his you know his thought process works uh he's currently a senator in the philippines and uh, rumor has it he's you know gunning for the presidency elections next year so i don't know what's going to happen i really would like to understand what goes on in his mind you're going to have a very political island,
0: though, eh? Very, very yeah,
1: very <laughs> political island.
0: Very <laughs> political island. That's, a, that's an interesting approach, though, and I, and I respect it. i again, a lot of amazing names. Uh, I'm only learning more and more about the, the the Filipina diaspora, but just incredible, incredible people and, and, and warm culture and, and experiences. Yeah, that, that's a great list. Majid, have you thought about your list? <laughs> Who are you bring in? and why
2: I'll, I'll let you go second will because this this question stumped me i tried preparing for it but i, I just couldn't yeah. think of it so i'll just i'm enjoying the answers that you guys are giving so okay. will go ahead
0: <laughs> I, I was going to use the time that you were going to answer to think about my four but uh, i'll have to jump into it right away um i'll bring my late father though first i think it's uh you know keeping family close and uh just having someone who always uh, get things done and, 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 uh, the hardest worker I've ever met, um, having, uh, him lead, uh, and, and give advice, I think definitely uh, number one, uh, number two, I probably need a strong feminist hero. Uh, so I'll bring in, uh, Cho who is actually, uh, an amazing poet writes, uh, she, 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 she kicked off a huge revolution and was uh, very outspoken against imperialism uh, at that time in China. Um, actually, a small family connection is my uh, great grandfather happened to be actually uh, one of her tutors or mentors uh, who taught her. Um, so uh, having her there to be able to like write poetry and like fight anyone who shows up and like tell them, you know, bring speech with the power essentially Like I need someone there that to do that as well. Uh, not that my father would do that. He'd be more of the, uh, the hardworking sort of behind the scenes type. He didn't like when I was too public with things, which is <laughs> kind of the opposite way of where I'm going now. But, you know, I always think about his spirit when I do that. Um, and number three, I would probably bring in, um, I'll bring in my own, one of my own mentors to Dr. Henry Yu uh he is a, an incredible historian taught me everything really changed my life in terms of moving me in a different direction away from uh sort of whiteness and trying to fit in and assimilate he taught me about the history of uh of, of Canada in, in a very real way in ways that actually empowered that my Chineseness as opposed to put it as like a, a thing I should hide and so I think he'd be an amazing storyteller and if we were surviving for a a week on an island we would need some stories some some fireside stories for sure so I think he'd be an incredible storyteller for that and then I have one last one eh Ooh, who would I bring that's a tough one
1: Pacquiao (laughs)
0: Pacquiao what's the equivalent of the chinese like chinese pack yeah we don't have a like uh is boxing uh, big in china i'm, I'm, not, I'm not 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 so much i believe i think but the weightlifting is like pretty hectic there mm. right now it's 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 nice um i'm going to bring okay this is going to be sort of a, an easy answer out but i'll bring i'll bring my spouse as well <laughs> you know uh since it's the since it's the theme of this show spouses right. too i mean uh, I I couldn't I can't survive a a, a day let, let alone a, a week so uh, I I would bring her there and and she'd be uh, the motivation to keep going and, and you know I hope uh, Majid's able to <laughs> have his spouse with them as as well so yeah. I'll leave it at that
2: yeah you know it's funny because all I could think of was my my wife my son my father in law and my mom So these, these are the people. Uh, that i would get in uh, yeah uh, my mom and sorry my wife and my oh, i can take only four people right yeah, i said four my yeah. wife and son for sure uh, because uh, i mean my wife is the best woman that i know i mean uh, i mean the, i always clarify that mom's love and wife's love are uh, different but they're both the, the most important to a man or any to, to, to any person right so 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 I, I would get them for sure, and my son as well. The thing that I like about my son, he doesn't get cranky. You know, he is always smiling. Will I can send you some pictures after this call, but 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 he's always smiling, and uh, he he doesn't freak out because I I helped my sister with her babies when when I was in India. Man, if they start crying, they don't stop. But but I haven't seen Abdul Rahman do it, my sons, my son. So, and uh, my father-in-law uh, he's, he's one of the coolest persons that I've met in, in my life. You know, even if, if my wife is freaking out, he doesn't react and he doesn't interfere in any affair. You know, he's always there to help, but he's not, it's not nosy. And I really like it. And, uh, my mom, you know, just, just to listen to her uh, life story, because it's, it's incredible because she, you know, she was taking summer courses, you know, because she was a teacher, she was taking, she was doing courses during summers. So that she can, they uh, say, from a school teacher, she can become a college, uh, a teacher at a college, so that she can give us a better life. And there, are, I'm sure there are plenty of sacrifices that she made that I'm that I'm not aware of. So I would, I would love uh, to listen to her on that island.
0: Wow, that's that's love. awesome. Speaking of islands, um, I just want to add, add one more question. I know we're we're reaching the end of this segment, but I mean, an in, an in, in Indian man from uh, in in Brazil, like. Talk to me a bit about just Brazil, like, because we asked about diaspora, and you're throwing Brazil in your diaspora. That's become a home because home is where the heart is, right? And
2: right.
0: So what's uh, give me one quick story of Brazil, like, from your perspective too, of just something that maybe others didn't know. Like, I, I, I for one didn't know that there was a large Indian diaspora in, in Brazil. Um, so,
2: so there's th- not. Listen, I haven't met many Indians that I met. Uh, maybe a few uh, who were on a missionary activity. But, uh, uh, so so Brazil is very similar to India. So I, I just joke with my friends saying, Brazil is very similar to India, but with uh, more crime. Of course, I'm, I'm playing on the stereotype that's there. But, uh, what, what so the, the, the thing that, that's funny about Brazil, I'm not sure if you guys know, uh, people are very open. People are very open. So when I was applying for my visa at this Brazilian consulate in downtown Vancouver, there was this a man who walked out of the consulate with me and he started asking me all sorts of personal questions in a very casual way, which I'm sure I haven't seen in any cultures, even though uh, Indians can get nosy, but not this nosy. He was asking my wife's city, the area, the the place where she grew up, how many siblings she has, what, what do her parents do? And when I discussed this with my wife and said, you know, this guy was making me uncomfortable. She said, this is uh, Brazil, you know, they they always uh, ask uh, these questions. They're very open with what they ask. They don't keep things in their heart. Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas
2: here in Canada, we don't even exchange phone numbers with people who we are not close to, right? so
0: mm-hmm. Wow, incredible! And, and another—I I don't know if you've been there, LJ, but I haven't, and it's one of the countries on my on my. I got to get their list eventually. So
1: hopefully, same, uh, same boat, will same boat. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, thank you so much, Majid. This brings to the end our, uh, in, our light M round. And thank you again just for being here with us. I know it's taken uh, a lot of time uh, out of your day, uh, a lot of, um, again, worry in your life right now. And, and for you to be able to come here, I hope uh, in, in a way it's been a bit of a cathartic experience. Uh, and for us, at least, I, I know you've given us so much to ponder and think about and it it's renewed our our own advocacy and, and what we wanna to do to help uh, individuals like yourself. Um, but I just wanna point out your resilience and of course your, your your wife and and child's resilience during this time and we hope to see you all. I hope to see you all in Burnaby very, very soon and hopefully LJ will be there too at the Crystal Mall eating uh, some uh, some incredible Malaysian uh, Halal food. That would be the, the dream.
2: And yeah, th- thanks for having me, having, guys. I appreciate this opportunity. As I said, I was not speaking with anybody about this uh, with an excuse saying that uh, be- uh, there are more touching stories out there. Uh, again, I'm very grateful for this
1: opportunity. Thank you so much. Guys, Thank you, and you so NJ, much, nice Majid.
2: You, and I look forward to meeting you soon. Too.
1: Yes, me too. I yeah. look forward to that day. All right. yeah. Thanks, guys. Have a good evening. OK, cool. Um, right. Will, final thoughts? So for the Real Talk closing today,
0: Uh, I want to talk about action because Mm -hmm. right now uh, we've seen the impact of COVID. We've seen families separated. We've seen stories today from individuals like Majid who himself acknowledges that he still sort of has it relatively good, but, but is struggling and, and how this has taken a toll on his mental health, on his happiness and wellness. I want all of you who are listening. And if you are not in a position of power, talk to someone who's in a position of power Uh, If you are a Member of Parliament or if you are the Immigration Minister or you work at IRCC, I know you have, you know, multiple uh, things you have to think about, uh, a system to uphold, but don't forget that immigration ultimately is about human life, ultimately is about the movement of individuals, ultimately is about family unification as an important factor. We are seeing spouses separated on the basis of preconceptions, on racism, misconceptions, misunderstandings, and we're furthering a wrong. We're causing harm. We're also at a risk of a two-tiered system—one that has a different set of rules for those inside Canada and a different set of rules for those who are outside Canada. I ask, and I and I plead, really, that you do not let families continue to suffer, because suffering is harm, and harm ultimately reflects on all of us. So that will be my closing for the day. I hope we're able to make some changes and I think some really good ideas have been raised and you know, everyone's giving good advice. Take some of that advice, let's make some changes. That is right. my real talk close for the day.
1: Thank you, Will, very powerful. Um, and just to close two things, um, just to follow on your uh, line of thought. Um, back in February, on February 13, something bold happened from the minister's office 27,000 or so um, invitations to apply. Of course, a lot of people got bitter, understandably. Mm -hmm. Understandably. If I were in their position, I'd probably be very bitter. I'm hoping that we see the same level of boldness uh, from our friends over at immigration uh, in respect to family reunification. This needs to happen now. and, uh, you know, we, we need bold action at this point. It's It's been a year of waiting for a lot of these people, more than a year for a lot of more people essentially in the, the, the immigration family reunification file. And um, yeah. You know, I'd like to close on a positive note uh, that tom- next week we already have um, a guest uh, programmed, uh, Joanna Bailan. She's an um, independent journalist. Uh, she's a freelancer. Uh, she, uh, I had the pleasure of actually uh, speaking to her and uh, in, in helping her write an article about healthcare workers. I believe, Will, you were interviewed uh, by Joanna mm-hmm. Jana, Jana, uh, not too long ago as well. And uh, really looking forward to our conversations with her next week.
0: Yeah, Joanna Bailon is incredible um, an exceptional writer. I think probably one of the greatest talents that I've seen uh, of yeah. the last little bit. Um, I think after our presentation, she's probably going to get some calls from different outlets <laughs> asking her uh, to write for them because, you know, she humanizes things. But she also has an incredible story and we're going to dig into it. Uh, it involves multiple countries. It involves uh, one of my favorite diaspora communities, oh, LJ's diaspora community. But we're going <laughs> to talk about... You know, we 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 scratch the surface every episode a oh,
1: little,
0: yeah. right? But we're gonna we're gonna jump in next episode. So yeah,
1: I, I like how it uh, runs parallel to her experiences in Hong Kong too. So you know, there, yeah. there's a lot of intersectionality there. It'll be fun,
0: absolutely. And, and obviously, there's lots going on in Hong Kong right now that we we probably needed to to talk about too, from an immigration updates perspective. Absolutely. So, so great. That brings us to a close, episode two in the books.
1: LJ, how do you feel? A little tired. Uh, I, I feel a little um, overwhelmed. Uh, it was a heavy episode and in light of all circumstances, I'm feeling pretty good about it though. How about you?
0: Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm feeling good about the episode, but I'm feeling definitely for Majid and families. And I think I'm going to hug my spouse a little bit closer today. Um, obviously, uh, we are, uh, for those who are listening, uh, very close to having a new addition to the family and uh, LJ, <laughs> we're going to have to find a, a backup uh, for me for a couple episodes, but uh, you know what? Um Family is, is so important. It's the heart. Without it, I'm nowhere. I'm nobody. Um, so I'm excited for this episode to go out. I'm excited for all of you to engage with it and uh, to share, like. Um, we're, are we on uh, Spotify yet? Or are we going to get there?
1: Not yet. We're getting there this week.
0: We're getting to Spotify this week as well. So you're going to be able to listen to us in your cars as well without being distracted by the YouTube. So <laughs> uh, love to all of you. Uh, love from us to you. Thank you so much for watching and
1: uh, enjoy the week. See you next Thanks week. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.